Welcome to the second season of our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. here another episode ben the huel bottle is behind your left shoulder <laughs> the order of the world has been restored how are you it did not stay in new york it came with me to birmingham i am good man i uh, i've been busy listening to this uh album that you suggested by mitski and it's i've loved it man it's kind of short so i've probably listened to it like five or six times oh, since yeah. yesterday when you were like check this out <laughs> yeah i think it's like I think it's like the the first like good you know good indie album of the year so dude i yeah i mean i was really really into it i think at the end of the day like indie pop as much as i pretend like i love everything else any, anything new anyway indie pop is definitely my favorite like phoebe bridger's last album i listened to that over and over pretty much all of 2020 uh and now this might be that album for me in 2022. Have you heard? I mean, have you listened to her before? Like, did you listen to Puberty 2 or any of the earlier records? Really just a few tracks here and there. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I, I, I kind of respected her as an artist, but I was never into her the way I was Phoebe or Julian Baker. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Puberty 2, man, is just American Girl. Like, you're American Girl. It's like, I think that was like my favorite song of the decade, dude. I, I love that song. My brother always makes fun of me for it. Like, it's like the most, like, I don't know exactly, like, twee, soy boy, like, indie taste. It's like <laughs> Mitski, but I don't care. She's incredible, you know? Dude, I, mean, I mean, like, so melodious. Like, I mean, just like, maybe I have to, to, to clarify. It's not just indie pop. It's a female indie pop singer. Like, that album is going to speak to me every single time. Uh, honestly, I'm the same way. I think it's as a way to, like, subconsciously atone for my just absolute hatred of taylor swift i love female driven indie rock like i love big thief like the baker the um what's that group called boy genius that like trinity you know julian baker um phoebe bridgers and lucy dankis i love all that stuff so and then waxahachie i mean those are like all like all the music i like is basically like female indie rock it's weird i don't feel like that was as much of a thing 10 years ago 20 years ago He's overcompensating. But, I uh, am. I think I am. I think I am. But well, no, so I agree. I mean, I, 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 I share less of the disdain toward Taylor than you do, at least with the, the most recent folklore I thought was all right. But, um, but yeah, man, these, these ladies, man, just, I mean. So what, what's your, what's your favorite track? If we, if we could, uh, if we could share yeah. some with listeners. 
Well, honestly, I, I, I'm not, I, you know this about me and our listeners are probably bored of me talking about this, but I'm definitely still an album guy. I'm a firm believer in the album. And a whole lot of this, I would say, I don't, I don't think there's really a song I skip even after six listens. Uh, I'm trying to remember, was, is it the only Heartbreaker? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, is that the one that's like kind of sounds like a praise and worship song? Yeah, to, I mean to you it does. You, that's when you texted me. Yeah. yeah. And it really could be like, you know, in an evangelical church with lots of praise and worship music, which I love, right? I'm, I'm, I'm into that. Is it a, uh, a dare I feel like you could repurpose this song. Just like in my mom's, uh, you know, Pentecostal church of my youth. We, what was that song? Um, I want to know what love is. We sang that to Jesus. Oh now, I bet God. that my church, that old church, if it's still in existence, could totally repurpose this one. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a uh, an Undress Me Jesus track, you know. <laughs> my favorite tracks. <laughs> All right, man. Um, so we're going to talk about Psalm 1 today. Oh, hold up, hold up. You didn't say what your favorite track was. Oh, oh, you're right. I just moved right into the, uh, to the transition. Oh, I was so excited. Uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty, based on Spotify streams, I think Working for the Knife is the single, and I think that song is really killer um should have been me is a really really good one um i don't know if i have a favorite track yet i mean i think like you i listened to the album as an album a ton like on saturday i did this super long bike ride that i don't need to go into the details but it was very very tedious like the route i was doing and so i just listened to this record for like two hours which means i listened to it you know i guess that's only four times but like you know just all and so they the songs do kind of blend together a little bit but um yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite track yet, but I do really, really like it. And yeah. I feel like it's the first, there's some albums that have come out that I've really liked that have like 1200 streams on Spotify. So we're never going to talk about them on the pod. But in terms of like music that a decent amount of our listeners would actually check out, I think this Mitski album is, is the first good one. I, people really like that new Animal Collective record too, but I haven't really gotten gotten a chance to check it out. Well, just so, I mean, if you're interested in what we're talking about, I have no idea. It's an album called Laurel Hell by Mitski. So go check it out. That's right. Uh, Psalm 1. Uh, it's a widely known psalm, as you might guess, and it goes like this. Happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on his law day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season, with leaves that do not wither. Everything they do shall prosper. It is not so with the wicked. They are like chaff, which the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand upright when judgment comes, nor the sinner in the counsel of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is doomed. 
Bam. All right. So Psalm one, uh, we said this on our first podcast on the Psalms, but uh, Psalm one is kind of an introduction to the Psalms as a whole. So it might be helpful. Maybe we'll do this to look at Psalm one itself, its content, but how it also kind of relates to the entire Psalter. And what I would say for the entire Psalter is that I mean, you can't just have this Psalm. I think the rest of the song, Psalms kind of flesh this out. In fact, most people think that Psalm 1 and 2 introduce the Psalms as a whole. But here in this Psalm, what we really get is kind of this dichotomy, right? It's you know, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And there's really no gray areas here. Now, I think that that's fine for this Psalm because it, it, it's just six verses. It's not trying to do too much. But, you know, that dichotomy is the way of the wicked is doomed. Those who delight in the law of the Lord or the righteous, they're going to be all right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, now I think we need to define what law means here, because a lot of times, probably a lot of our listeners and me as well, when I hear the law, I think of, you know, like rap songs, right? Like I think of the police, like I want nothing to do with the popo. Um, and I mean, you know, St. Paul has, you know, talks about the law in similar ways, like the law cannot save you. And that's where we get, you know, justification by grace through faith. But here what the law of the Lord really means is the instruction of the Lord. So not just this, you know, thing that we got to measure up to. Um, I don't think there's this notion that you'll necessarily be completely blameless if you follow the law here, though Paul might have that. But here it's just, it's, we delight in the instruction of God. We meditate on it day and night. Uh, we bear fruit when we meditate and chew. It's like that Eugene Peterson book. We you know, eat this book. We, we eat this instruction. Uh, and it's, it's wild. There's kind of a, you know, it says here, everything they shall do or everything they do shall prosper. Now that hasn't been my experience, but um, oh, yeah, let's talk. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, yeah, 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 I think there. I think that's a really good. It's a really good question to raise. Yeah, I think you know, in the in the Psalter as a whole, and especially in this Psalm, I think we do ourselves a disservice if we see the word righteous or the word wicked, and we think in either like moral or psychological categories. Like you know, what makes you righteous is being in a right relationship with the Lord God of Israel. You can be a very uh, you could be someone whose life is characterized by inconsistencies and hypocrisy. And by that, I mean the two people on this zoom call, but if you are in a right relationship with the God of Israel through his son, and as Christians, we would say through his son, Jesus Christ, then you are righteous and you can be an enviable, commendable, wonderful person. But if you are not in right relationship with the God of Israel, again, as Christians through Jesus Christ, you are counted as the wicked in that sense. And I think it's kind of counterintuitive because we hear those words and we think primarily moral or psychological. And I think that just doesn't exactly map onto what the Bible is saying. I mean, the Bible is a book about God, not us. And so I think it's saying if you are in a right relationship with the God of Israel, you are righteous. And I think that's, that aligns, I think, with Paul's teaching. You know, Paul gets a little more specific. How are you made righteous through faith? But I think the idea that it's about being in a right relationship with God, it's not about your track record amounts to blamelessness because then again, who among us would be righteous, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I think we see, you know, again, why it's important to note that this is an introduction to the Psalter is that, you know, in some of the songs we, Psalms we've already talked about, we've seen, you know, the author complain about why the wicked prosper and the 
you know, the, the righteous aren't. So it's, you know, the, the book of the Psalter as a whole really does kind of wrestle with the range of human experience. But here at the beginning, it's laying out the basic, you know, trajectory or facts. It is, it should be our delight to walk in his instruction. It's not just should, but it's as if we're being fed by this instruction. We are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season. Everything we do will prosper. Now, I do think this, this kind of anticipates future Psalms that you know, complain to God, and rightly so. Um, but, I mean, there's kind of this in verse 5, right? Therefore, the wicked shall not stand upright when judgment comes, nor the sinner in the counsel of the righteous. There does seem to be, you know, there, there's not too much notion in the Old Testament of, you know, everlasting life or, or life after death. I'm not saying it's not there, but it's not like, it's not highlighted the way it is in the New Testament. But I, I think in that verse, we really do have this notion of, you know, a bit of an answer to, all right, well, you know, it does seem a lot of times like those who cheat, those who <laughs> are money launder and don't get caught. I mean, these people seem to be doing pretty well. But so I think there's both, this notion of, you know, there, there will be judgment, but also, and maybe unrelatedly, just this notion of, you know, the good life, for lack of, lack of a better word, is the life lived according to the instruction of God. And as we see in the New Testament, sometimes what we think of the good life is actually, according to Christ, according to Paul, according to the scriptures, it's a little bit upside down. It's, it's not necessarily... Uh, having millions and millions of dollars uh, as much as I wish it were. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, you could do a very superficial reading of this Psalm and construct what is like kind of called in pop terms, like prosperity theology, you know, like your everything you do shall prosper. Um, and I think it's important to remember that the book of the Psalms, as we have them were compiled while Israel was, had maybe returned from exile but was still in the land without a temple and all of God's promises had seemed to fail. You know, they weren't living in a time of prosperity and, and renewal. They were in a time of, you know, exile as it were. And, and so I think in some ways with this Psalm, this Psalm and the, the Psalms as a whole are keenly aware of the problem of theodicy. They're keenly oh. aware, like Psalm 73, to your earlier point, like that the, the wicked often prosper, not the righteous. But I think what this Psalm is saying is something that's maybe perhaps more, to use fancy language, eschatological. And in some ways, or more simply put, like there's a spiritual prosperity or a vibrancy of life in God that is furnished upon those who are in a right relationship with God. That doesn't always manifest itself in like getting the promotion and having the perfect family, but there is a promise of a spiritual blessedness that follows delight in God's instruction and being in a right relationship with him. You know, uh, Ellen Cherry, who I've quote basically every episode, she has this, you know, very terse, but great line piety in Israel is not stress-free because <laughs> they're hmm. seeing those who walk in the counsel of the wicked who linger in the way of sinners, like doing great. <laughs> and that produces in the poet and the people of God, this like profound misapprehension. Like, have we just got this all wrong? So I think Psalms like this are, divinely inspired testimonies to know real goodness, real blessedness, being verdant, you know, planted by streams of water that comes from delight in God's law, God's way, and, um, you know, being in a right relationship with him. 
So I have a friend who's a Vietnam veteran, and um, I didn't know that when I first met him. And he's a, he's a priest. His name's Jim Monroe, for all of you who are listening. And when I heard Jim Monroe the first couple of times, when I heard him preach, I kind of felt like, and forgive me, Jim, if you ever hear this, and I know a lot of you love Jim, uh, I kind of felt like his preaching was a little bit Hallmark Cardi. Um, and, but when I learned his story, that he had gone to Vietnam and been, in his words, blown up, he had to be you know, shipped home to heal, and he'd been dealing with you know, PTSD his entire life. It kind of reminds me of this psalm in some ways. As you mentioned, Israel has been through the ringer. Israel has been exiled. All hope has seemed lost. And we'll see that in other episodes. Um, But here it's, and this is put at the beginning of the Psalter. It's nevertheless, uh, despite everything, uh, we believe that meditating on the instruction of the Lord, walking in that way, is actually, it actually is the good life. And, you know, the bad things that we might be able to do to, to have money if we don't get caught, uh, it's, that's actually not worth it. And it's not like the, the, you know, the authors of the Psalter have not seen this. It's, it's not as if they're not unaware of gray areas. Like Jim Monroe, it's, it's not like he's never had any suffering in his life. He's probably had more suffering than Nick and I combined. And yet, the Psalter, the psalmist, is able to say with confidence these words that it is better uh, to walk the way of the Lord. Uh, it is like being like a tree. It's bearing fruit. So that's what I got. Yeah, man. I, I was drawn, you know, obviously I've read this psalm a number of times because anytime you try and read the psalms in a month or read a psalm a day, you always start here. <laughs> you know, you don't, oftentimes don't get very far past this, but I've read this psalm a number of times. And what I've never, what has never really jumped out to me is like what, is being in some sense warned against in the opening verse, you know, walking in the counsel of the wicked or lingering in the way of sinners. It's that third line sat in the seats of the scornful and that kind of the notion that what's being commended here is a resistance to scornfulness or in some ways a resistance to cynicism or skepticism, right? It's like, there is this kind of corrosive, unbelief that just saps your life, you know, like you become a withered tree, not a um, tree planted by streams of water. And um, I don't want to, I don't want, I want to be very careful here because yeah, some of these people are acting in very good faith. um, So they're not wicked, but did you, did you come across that? um, Did you come across that David Brooks op-ed? Even you didn't come. Oh man. Uh, There's David Brooks. This we're recording this like the day before it comes out. So uh, last weekend, David Brooks wrote this like massive op-ed in the New York Times. Uh, I think it was like three pages in print. Uh, I think the title, he probably didn't title it this, but the dissenters trying to save evangelicalism by from itself. And it kind of profiles like Karen Pryor, um, David French, a few other folks uh, that I forget their name off the top of my head. But basically it's trying to say that like, evangelicalism right now is being profoundly fractured because of Trump, because of COVID, because of um, racial justice and how to frame that and talk about that and, um, and sex abuse and the way that's been mishandled in many major churches or parachurch organizations. And, um, and I think what it, it, your people's feelings about these 
you know, kind of lionized resistance. I don't, I, that's not my point. My point is actually, it's like, it is very easy and very tempting to kind of sit on the sidelines and in some ways sit, sit in the seats of the scornful, wherever your denominational affiliation or how you would describe your Christian identity, there's always no shortage of things that you can say to narrate how bad it is. And some of those things are important and it's true, but that can easily become, I believe, this kind of unbelief. Like it, your prophetic critique quickly metastasizes into like cynical unbelief. And there's oh. this there's this line in the um in the article that I, I thought was the most profound. It was from you know Russell Moore, the previous yeah. Southern Baptist guy. Anyway, he has this line. Um, it's just this is like gospel truth. This is what he says. He's like these struggles are the cultural definitions of all these words and kind of merging politics and spirituality. And he says, the healthiest people spiritually tend to be the least engaged in these struggles. The un the unhealthiest tend to be the most engaged in spiritual life and politics. I think that is so profoundly true. And to me, that is like, yeah, man, do you want to be a, a, a tree that's planted by streams of water? Delight in God's way, you know, relate to him in Jesus Christ and make that your delight. Like that's the fire that you should warm yourself by, not by being on the right side of history because of your particular view on X, Y, or Z. And I think like that, that is in the New York times, a embodiment of what the promise of this Psalm is the healthiest people spiritually tend to be the least involved in these issues. Happy are they whose delight is in the law of the Lord. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so get off of Twitter. And delight exactly. in the law. <laughs> I'm not calling people who I am genuinely not calling people who point out the legitimate faults of evangelicalism, for example. I'm not saying they are Psalm one. I'm just saying that that posture can become something corrosive. Totally, and it's the exact equal and opposite thing in the Episcopal Church, yeah. where you have people equally as scornful of you know whatever. So yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's it's on the right and the left. I'm not talking about people on the left. I'm, Predominantly, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about both. Anyway, all right, pray us out, man. All right, happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. Forgive me, Lord. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on his law day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season, with leaves that do not wither. Everything they do shall prosper. It is not so with the wicked. They are like chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand upright when judgment comes, nor the sinner in the counsel of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is doomed. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.